I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Welcome back to Practical Stoicism. I'm your host, Tanner Campbell. If you'd like to get rid of ads and preambles, go to stoicism.supercast.com and become a premium subscriber. It's just $6 a month. It helps me to do this full time. I'm getting closer and closer with every passing week and episode, and it would mean a lot to me if you could. If you're somebody who doesn't like to get nickeled and dimed to death, there's the opportunity to pay for an entire year's subscription up front or at the very bottom of the page a way to give just a single time in any amount you choose. If you cannot afford to support this show monetarily, or if that's just not your thing, podcast should be free. I'm never going to give you any money, Tanner, but I love your show. You can still show support by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or Podchaser.com, or by sharing this podcast with friends of yours or family members of yours that you think will enjoy it. That is another kind of support, as is going to StoicismPod.com and dropping me a note in the contact form on the contact page. I love hearing from you. I love getting your questions. At this point, I'm getting a few every week. And I hope that my answers to those questions provide value to you and help you get through some of the things that you're working through as you listen to this podcast. Some of those emails, by the way, have been quite touching, and I've formed a few friendships with some of you, which I feel great about. It means a lot to me that we're making a real connection here with the work we're doing. Today, we are going to dive into the 10th meditation of book two, and I have a little bit of a warning label on this one. It's for the female listeners again, and that is, remember, this is an ancient philosophy. It wasn't really written with women in mind. Women did not fulfill the role of philosopher in ancient Rome or ancient Greece. This is a function of the time. The Stoics were very progressive in many ways, but, you know, after enough time passes, everybody's got their shortcomings. You go far enough out into the future, and you look far enough back into the past, and everybody was kind of terrible. In the case of this meditation, there is a lot of masculine language. In fact, at one point we call unmasculine behavior womanish, and I know that the women who listen to the show won't like that. However, try to take it with a grain of salt. I promise I'm still going to pull some value out of this, whether you are male or female, and I hope that you'll stick through the episode. So here we go, Meditation 10, Book 2. 
Theophrastus, in his comparison of bad acts, such a comparison as one would make in accordance with the common notions of mankind, says, like a true philosopher, that the offenses which are committed through desire are more blamable than those which are committed through anger. For he who is excited by anger seems to turn away from reason with a certain pain and unconscious contraction. But he who offends through desire, being overpowered by pleasure, seems to be in a manner more intemperate and more womanish in his offenses. Rightly then, and in a way worthy of philosophy, he said that the offense which is committed with pleasure is more blamable than that which is committed with pain. And on the whole, the one is more like a person who has been first wronged and through pain is compelled to be angry, but the other is moved by his own impulse to do wrong, being carried towards doing something by desire. All right, so before continuing, I want to point something out about this meditation. Stoics did not understand because it didn't exist in the sphere of total known knowledge at the time anything about mental health disorders or drug addiction and how these things rewire the brain literally. This is not an excuse for their completely glossing over these things in their texts. It's a reason. You cannot be wise in concerns to the things you do not know. When you do not know, you do not know them, and knowing them isn't in fact currently possible. So, in everything that follows, I am excluding mental health disorders and drug addiction. You don't tell a heroin addict, for example, that their current cravings for heroin are because they lack discipline. You also don't tell someone who is bipolar that they can think themselves out of being bipolar. And in concerns to the former, I will admit that I believe the adoption of Stoic philosophy could have prevented the initial drug use, but there is a point beyond which philosophy alone cannot rescue a person. And there are conditions for which philosophy alone cannot be the treatment. And I firmly believe that were Seneca, Aurelius, Epictetus, or Zeno all possessed of a modern understanding of these things, then they would have come to the same conclusion. If these guys lived through the 2,300 years since they lived, right up until today, they would deliver Stoicism very differently. I think it's important to keep that in mind. These guys have been dead for a really long time. And we've learned a lot since then. With that said, let's return to the meditation. For he who is excited by anger seems to turn away from reason with a certain pain and unconscious contraction. But he who offends through desire, being overpowered by pleasure, seems to be in a manner more intemperate and more womanish in his offenses. Again, this is being translated from Latin to English in 1860. George Long is the man who translated this. Please, again, if you are a woman listening, please try to see the overarching value of the meditation and, and try not, I know it can be hard, but try not to focus on the fact that they're basically using womanish as a pejorative. I know that doesn't sound great. 1860, I mean, I can't make excuses for it. It's just the way they spoke. Let's still try to get something out of this that is valuable to everybody. And let's start by defining what Marcus means when he says offenses. He means all those behaviors which are inconsistent with or antithetical to living like a Stoic. So it's not just anger, it's also vengeance or jealousy or greed or gluttony. 
It's all that a Stoic would call unbecoming of a Stoic. Here, he's focusing on anger. So he's talking about people who are moved to anger through inner pain, and people who are moved to anger because something is in the way of obtaining pleasure. As an example, while you were at work, imagine you get a phone call from your local law enforcement agency and they inform you that your car has been stolen. You slam your fist on the desk, violently sweep your arm across it, and knock a coffee cup and a bunch of papers and six staplers, which for some reason you have that many staplers, onto the ground while screaming your favorite expletive. Marcus and Theophrastus would have both believed that this was poor behavior for a Stoic, but that it is more excusable, or at least less of a transgression or less of an offense than this example. Let's say you're accustomed to having a pint of ice cream every night, and one night the store is fresh out of ice cream. You yell at the clerk, you storm out of the store, you promise you'll never come back because you spend so much money there and they don't have what you want. You drive home in a snit, and when you get home, missing your favorite sweet treat, you snap at your wife or your husband or your children and are generally unpleasant and mean to be around. There is a kind of childlike petulance associated with the latter situation that isn't as associated with the former. Certainly throwing a fit, whether it's in response to bad news or in response to not getting any ice cream, is childish in any case, but throwing a fit in the moment and in reaction to bad news or internal pain, like having your car stolen, doesn't seem for whatever reason as childish, at least not to Marcus and Theophrastus. And I think it is here for the first time that I'm going to break with Marcus and say that I think there really is no difference. As human beings who have never had the good fortune of great philosophical training from the start, and specifically Stoic training from the start, both these sorts of behaviors are simply the expression of ingrained behavioral patterns and a lack of sincerity and discipline in how the two people in the example chose to execute and consider all that they do. Where I will agree with Marcus in the case of this meditation is that once you begin your Stoic journey, once you've elected to don the mantle of prokopton, anger in reaction to pain is more understandable than anger in reaction to a roadblock to pleasure. Why? Because anger in reaction to pain happens as quickly as the striking of a match. And just as quickly, it is possible to recover from that anger, or that offense, as Marcus puts it. Anger in reaction to a roadblock to pleasure, however, is sustained anger, ever-present anger. Anger that worsens the longer you're blocked from that pleasure. It's a kind of anger you cannot recover from in the same way that you can recover from a moment of pain-induced anger. Still, here too, there's something missed. Marcus talks about reaction to pain, and that could be a prick on your finger or bad news, sure, but what about a rage or an anger that builds? Is that the same sort of anger? Or is that more like a roadblock to pleasure because your serenity is increasingly made less and less each day? As an example, imagine you know a friend has lied to you, and you go on not confronting them for one reason or another. And for weeks and months, your anger towards this person increases until you explode and confront them in a grand fashion. Is that forgivable anger? It's certainly not the swift sort that Marcus alludes to in the meditation. Remember, he says, and on the whole, the one is more like a person who has been first wronged and then through pain is compelled to be angry. But the other is moved by his own impulse to do wrong, being carried towards doing something by desire. 
I think the takeaway of this meditation is that anger as a reaction to that which is external to us is more forgivable than anger as a result of our own addictions to pleasure. I'll admit I found that odd, since, in the case of the prior, we are reacting to that which is outside of our control, and in the latter, we are refusing to control our thoughts and emotions. I agree that both work against the idyllic aims of a Prokopton, but I disagree that one is better or worse than the other. Each is simply a failure to be a Stoic sage. And failure to be a sage is written into the expectations of Stoicism in the first place. We talked about that. No Stoic ever expects to become a sage. They only work to become one. But I think Marcus gives us the best way to think about anger in any form, be it in reaction to pain or in reaction to roadblocks to our desire, when he said, An ignorant person is inclined to blame others for his own misfortune. To blame oneself is proof of progress. But the wise man never has to blame another or himself. Anger is something we want to strive not to express. And when we do, we should seek to recover from its grip quickly. But also, all failures to be perfect are not only normative along the Stoic path, they are expected. You should be no more or less kind to yourself depending on the sort of failure. Just pick yourself up, remind yourself that it has already happened, and that you have the rest of your life not to fail again, take your next step, and continue along the path. That's what Marcus did, it's what I do, and it's the best anyone else can do. Do not let anyone tell you otherwise. Thank you for listening to this episode of Practical Stoicism. If you enjoyed it, if you learned something from it, consider leaving a review of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or Podchaser.com. Again, if you'd like to get rid of ads and if you'd like to support the show, you can become a premium subscriber by going to stoicism.supercast.com and any support you can give, I would greatly appreciate. Thank you again for listening and until next time, take care. Take care.